Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. We're in Romans chapter 5. We'll begin today our reading in verse 1. Last week we covered verses 1 and 2. We will pick up today in verse 3. But we'll begin reading in verse 1. Romans chapter 5. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into His grace, into which we stand. And we exalt in hope the hope of the glory of God. Not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, not survive, not make it through, not determine that God has dealt us an unfortunate lot. No, he says we exalt in them, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, And perseverance, proven character, and proven character leads to hope. And hope does not disappoint, not this kind, because the love of God is poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone may or would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to god through the death of his son much more having been reconciled we shall be saved by his life his death has saved us his life and what he is doing on our behalf in glory right now is saving us And not only this, but we also exalt in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. We began in verses 1 and 2 last week, and we shared with you some wonderful privileges it is that we have as children of God, those who have been born again, and what that means uh, to us who have been born again, and and, and what it means for us in our salvation. And Paul just kind of lists them for us, and we pick them out. But we, we talked about, first of all, the position that we enjoy in Christ, having been justified 
That's an incredible place to be. If you have been justified, man, you can't beat that. There's nothing in the world more important than that. If you had all the money in the world and you were willing to trade that for your justification instead, then you would be a fool. Jesus said if a man gains the whole world and loses his soul, then he has absolutely nothing. So we have a position in Christ Jesus that is very precious. We also have a peace that we enjoy in Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, having peace with God. We may not have peace with our health, may not have peace with the neighbors, we may not have peace with our finances, we may not even have a peace about our immediate future, but if we have peace with God, that's worth it all. And then thirdly, we talked about a privilege that we enjoy in Christ. Verse 2, he says, through whom we have also obtained our introduction. Prosago gay is the word. Sunago gay means to lead together. We get our word synagogue from it. Prosago gay means to lead forth. And this really is a word picture of being led into the presence of a king. Except through Christ, we have been, we have been allowed into the presence of God Almighty Himself. A place that we were forbidden to go. The veil was torn in two, and so really that opened up the the holy of holies, the presence of God, the ability to have a relationship with Him. That opened all of that up, and, and to that we praise God. But for us Gentiles, there was actually a wall in the way that kept us in the court of Gentiles. When Gentiles came to the temple, they were kept even further back. As a matter of fact, it was in this area that the money changers began to set up their tables and that little marketplace began to grow more and more and it became more busy and, and there was nowhere for anyone to come and pray. But it had been a place that was supposed to be uh, uh, separated for the Gentiles, the nations, to come and pray. That's why Jesus said, this place was supposed to be a house of prayer for the nations. But you have turned it into a marketplace, and you remember Jesus was rather upset in John chapter 2. We enjoy a great privilege of being in His presence. And then there's the promise we talked about we enjoyed last of all last week. We exalt in the hope of the glory of God. And we talked about the glory of God is it, it is his perfect character. It is who he is. And in little things in life, sometimes we see the glory of God. He said, if you really want to get a good look, look up. Go outside and look at the heavens. He says, you can see there the glory of God. And, and, and boy, how awesome that is. And we looked at, uh, some, uh, nebula and some other things that I know almost nothing whatsoever about. But I'm fascinated by those things because they give us a little glimmer of the glory of God. You don't have to look so far away. That love you feel for your child, you know, the kind that just hurts. And even though they're fine, you, you just look at them and you almost burst into tears just, just looking at your child. And some of you may be 
bursting into tears for other reasons. I understand that. But I, I can just tell you that love you feel, that, that's a little glimmer of the glory of God. That, that, that's not from this earth. The dedication that you have uh, to your wife or to your husband. I've been married to this precious soul here for 39 years. And, and man alive, I, I can just tell you the love that I have for her, uh, it's just not of this world. That's just not a, boy, uh, you know, it starts out in like infatuation. You know what I mean? Uh, they're just the best looking person you ever saw in your life. At least that's what she said. But, but, but then it grows into something more. It grows into something that you're like, man, that's not of this world. What I'm willing to do for this person, that, that, that other person that is flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, we, the two have really become one. And when you can enjoy that in a marriage and, if you have it, I, I, I'm sorry that you have it, but boy, it's a beautiful thing. It's one of the little glimpses of what life will be like one day when we're with God forever in a place full, full of His glory. But we want to pick it up here because in verse 3 he says, and not only this, there's more. As a Christian, number five, I, there's a process that I embrace. There's a process that I am able to embrace as a Christian. He breaks it down for us in three through five. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. And our tribulations bring about perseverance. And our perseverance brings about proven character. And proven character brings about hope, a hope that doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Who? I like that. i tired of hearing people talk about the what with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is God. It's not a what. Who was given to us. Step one of this process, he says, well, it begins with tribulation. Thylipsis is the word in the Greek, and it means compression or crushing. For someone who is very claustrophobic, boy, that to me, I, I can just sit and, and think about something like that and sit straight up in the bed. I, I, I just, I just, boy, can't stand to be in a place where I don't think I can escape. But that's how tribulation, that's the word of thylipsis here. It is a, a pressure. Matter of fact, the word for temptation is a word that also means to put pressure upon us. But thylipsis is a, it's, it's not an easy thing. It's, it's not just having a bad day or someone misunderstanding us. No, it's, it's difficulty like I doubt very many of us, if any, in here have ever known. As a matter of fact, I want to say this today, and boy, I say this from my heart. When I said God broke my heart this week with this passage, I want to give you a verse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, Paul said, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That verse bothers me. 
You mean everyone who desires to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And in my heart, and I'm going to be very personal, and don't worry, I'm going to talk about me, not you. You deal with you. I can just tell you, I'm not persecuted. I'm just going to go ahead and talk about the elephant in the room. I am not persecuted oh i might think i am sometimes but i I know so little about it i had several missionaries that just helped me to understand this when i read things about them one that came to mind this week i want to share with you is amy carmichael I, i think she comes to mind for a couple of reasons one there's a god's garden involved i remember we used to sweat a little down here raising a few vegetables to give away to people you know and and then another thing is she was in india and so i've been there too i lord i spent three weeks there she spent 55 years and never came home 55 years. She died in 1951 at the age of 83. And today she is buried in Donavar, which is right in near Chennai, where we go. When we go to India, she's buried right near there. And she's buried in a place called God's Garden. Now raising one is something. Doing a little hoeing and plowing is one thing, being buried in it is another. And when she died, she had the children there. She told them, I do not want a tombstone. I don't want a marker. Just bury me. So what they did was, because she had worked so long with the orphans, especially the young girls there, because, uh, man, a lot of, when she went to India, so many young girls were sold off into slavery to work as prostitutes in the hindu temples and in 1948 in part because of amy carmichael they decreed that prostitution in the hindu temples was no longer legal now there's still work to be done because there's nine million slaves in india nine million not back then i'm said today there are nine million people enslaved in India right now. But Amy Carmichael worked so hard to try to stop that. Of course she wore the usual uh, sorry that the ladies that went with us would wear. But she would also take really dark coffee, and you know they got some of that in India. And she would rub it on her skin to try to make herself fit in as well as she could to try to stain her skin. And and But when these girls that she had protected, and later on she would start an orphanage for young boys as well. But when she died, they set up a bird bath over where she was uh, placed in the ground. And they put a little sign up there called Amal is the word. And in Tamil, the language that they spoke in or speak in that area, Amal means mother. Because that was what she was to so many who had nothing. One time a young girl wrote to her 
and ask Miss Carmichael, what is being a missionary like? And she says, missionary life is simply a chance to go and die. Wow. And she meant it as, as well. She wrote a poem. I've read it here before. I want to read it again. She wrote 35 other books as well. Besides the fact that the last 20 years of her life, she spent most of it in a bed because she had fallen and injured herself just absolutely incredibly. And she was crippled and could barely even move. But she wrote 16 of those 35 books while lying there in the bed. Don't have a lot of time to complain if you're going to do all that. She wrote this poem, Hast Thou No Scar? Hast thou no scar, no hidden scar on foot or side or hand? I, I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archer spent, leaned me against a tree to die and rent. By raving beasts that compassed me, I swoon. Hast thou? Hast thou no wound? No wound? No scar? And yet as the master shall the servant be, and pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far? who has no wound or scar. I have no scar. I have no scar. I mean, I, I've got some scars, but they weren't put on me because of persecution of Christ. I have never been persecuted for the cause of Christ. Oh, I've been misunderstood. I've been aggravated. I've been criticized. But you know what I think about when I'm criticized? The worst thing that's ever been said about me. Had they known the truth, they could have said far worse. They were just speculating. I could tell them real things. If they could see the ugliness in my heart, my tendency to be judgmental or pharisaical or to feel pride in my life or to forget who I am as a, a sinner born again by the grace of God, if they could just see that sometime, I can tell you there was far meaner things they could have said about me. And maybe what they said was a lie. That's good because the truth would have been worse than a lie. I'm telling you, God spoke to my heart this week about that. Because I have no scar. I know people say sometimes, well now, those can leave emotional scars. You know, one thing I have figured out, those who have a lot of the physical ones tend to not have very many of the emotional Matter of fact, Paul said, therefore, in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Therefore I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties. 
for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, that's when I depend upon God. I'm not talking about an issue like depression. I've suffered from that. But that's not persecution for the church. That, that was very difficult. Yeah, I had cancer at one time. God healed me of that. What can I say? And, and, and this, all of this, God spared my life. All I can do is rejoice. As a matter of fact, He finally got me to witnessing to people that I don't even know. And that missing hand has been one of the greatest uh, just uh, conversation starters in the world. Oh, and to get to tell people about a peace that you have when you think you're about to die and yet you still are okay and it's all right and you even whisper to God, I'm coming home. Man, that's an awesome thing to say. But I can tell you, I've gotten all of that from God. I've been so blessed with all of that, but I have no scar. I have no wounds. I don't know what sacrifice is. Most of us don't. I wonder sometimes these eschatological models that we have in our mind about this was going to happen in the end time and there'll be this and times will get real bad and all of that. You ever been to a country and watched a guy walk around with shoes that he made out of two flattened drink bottles? And you're going to tell him, boy, it's going to get economically, it's going to get tough before the Lord comes back. He ought to ask you, what do you mean? Am I just going to have one drink bottle? Because I've never had anything. You and I don't know anything about that. We know diddly about this world. People that starve every single day of their life. And some of them are where they are because of the Gospel. As a matter of fact, let me tell you this. When it comes to this idea of countries that are closed to the Gospel, and I'm out of my league here. You'd have to really talk with Pastor George more than me about this. But I want to tell you, one thing I've learned, as far as missionaries are concerned, do you know there really are no closed countries to the Gospel? There's some places they go that nobody knows about. I have a good friend of mine, his daughter and son-in-law, went away several years ago and they went to a country and he's one of the closest friends that I have. And would you believe to this day he's still not told me where they went. And they're back now. Oh, they're in Europe now. They're, they're fairly well safe now. They finally had to come home. But when they left, the uh, leadership of, of the mission board told them, says, we have ways and a plan to get them out if we have to. But I can tell you, for people that don't mind a scar, I, I got news for you. There are no places on this earth that they will not go to share the Gospel with someone. We just don't even know that they're there. Maybe we ought to pray more for them. I, I know I've quoted John Piper several times, but I've been reading whatever he has to say about Romans. That's quite a bit. I want to read a quote from him. He says, because he talks about 1 Timothy 3.12, or 2 Timothy 
He says, we have, I fear, this is a quote, domesticated the concept of godliness. We've domesticated it into such an inoffensive, middle-class morality and law-keeping that 2 Timothy 3.12 means nothing. means nothing. You know what we do with a verse that says if we are going to seek to do the will of God, we will all be persecuted? You know what we do with that? Nothing. We do nothing with it. I, and I'm not saying that, well, if you go out today and just, just go home and hit your hand with a hammer and that'll bring glory to God. I'm not talking about that. You may never have the opportunity to go to one of these places. I understand that. But I can tell you, we are pretty good around here at avoiding sacrifice. I, I know how. I know how to look after me, and I know how to look after my family's future and, and that financial security and, and not getting too carried away with just, you know, I mean, we, we, we got needs here at home we need to take care of and things like that. We can think all of those things we want to. We don't even have a scar. We have no scar. Domestication, that's a... I preached a sermon here several years ago called Domesticating the Gospel. Domos is one of the Greek words for home. It also uh, uh, comes from the Latin as well. When you domesticate something, you, you make it housebroken. You get it to where you can live with it inside. That it's not uh, making a, a, a mess in the house. I, I don't know. I know there's people that have some pretty weird animals in their house. Some that they think they've domesticated. I don't think that Maybe they have quite as much. But I can tell you, we've pulled the teeth out of persecution. It's clawless and toothless as far as I were thinking. Because you just think about it. In our world right here in America, well, all you got to do is overlook us and we'll quit church. I left a message with Beth. She didn't even call me back. I think we're going to look around. We're praying about it. You poor soul. Gosh, thought about what if we had a service sometime where we all came together here in America at a church service and shared our experiences with persecution. That'd be a short service, would it not? And yet there'll be some people that'll go short service. Great. When are we going to have that? Because we don't even like long services, nice, comfortable green chairs and a, a climate control atmosphere. And we can still find things where we feel like that was done personally for me or, or they hurt me or, 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 or that, that broke my heart or that should have never been done. But I guess you know that for us Christians, they say it in the end, it's going to be like this. We are such fools. We are such fools. He said we rejoice in our tribulations, exalt in them. And that leads to perseverance, he said. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about perseverance. That's why that when you see these football teams that, that are playing uh, those guys didn't start running just to get out on the field. They've been working out for months and 
They've been straining their bodies and testing their strength and, and building their cardio because they needed to persecute those muscles to make those fibers uh, tighter and increase and, and to build those bodies the way that they are so that they can persevere. Tribulation, a good spiritual workout once in a while, it helps us with perseverance. We don't have an overabundance of that either. Perseverance. And just getting people... And I, I, I don't want to make the Christian life about being at church, but that's a good start. That's a really... I mean, coming to church, what's easier than that? Especially here... In America, nobody was waiting outside with a gun trying to take a shot at you this morning. See, I'm having a first world problem right now. My mouse pad is just quit on me again. I had some computer issues this week. See? See what I go through for Jesus? Hold on here. But I can tell you, Oh, I'm everywhere now. What if I just preach whatever comes on the screen? Did you know they had a problem with the water down at Camp Lejeune? Oh, I, that's working. I got to get this back. But perseverance. We can stand some of that. Man, alive. It just, I'm so glad every one of you are here. Whoa, that's too small, but that's okay. See, it doesn't end. It's relentless. Yeah, 220. But perseverance just. Where are you? And, and I see people, and, and I, I just, it's, I gotta say this. It breaks my heart, man. Your life is circling the drain. Every time we talk sometimes with certain people, I talk to them, and they're, they're telling me about, well, uh, marriage, their marriage is bad, or another relationship's gone bad, or they had another problem with this, that, or the other, or they're failing God in this area, and they feel so miserable about themselves and 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 I understand all of that but one of the things that I want to say and sometimes I do especially if I'm discipling you I say look you're never here when you show up you act like you've been here for weeks you just pop in and all of a sudden it's a wonder we don't let you preach yeah it's perseverance we just trying to be here it's like if we have nothing absolutely nothing to do then we come and if we have something extra and all the bills paid we'll give at least half of that to god <sighs> i'm afraid tribulation would have helped to build some perseverance in us it has because we've not experienced it. We have no scar. And then perseverance builds character. Character perseverance will build proven character. 
Nothing will give you a better sense of authenticity than to persevere. And, and, and let me tell you what I mean by that. When we know we've been faithful to God, and I know we've already said it, you and I witness very little, if any, persecution whatsoever. But I do know this. When I do what God has called me to do, and I do the right thing in spite of the temptation to do the wrong thing, it makes me feel a lot better about my faith. It builds some character within me. It makes me want to serve Him more. Some people come to church and they can't even look up. They feel so miserable because it's like they stepped out of a life that was going in this direction and they're sitting in a place going in this direction. It's sort of like when I played football. We had some guys that just never seemed to get excited about the game. And the one thing you could always notice about those that didn't get excited about the game, their uniform was as clean after the game as it was before the game. Boy, nothing was a better trophy than a big wad of fescue stuck right there. A bloody nose Oh, you didn't get, you didn't run to the sideline to get it fixed. It was like, look at you. Oh, I got some teeth missing too. Put me in, coach. You're not in the game. No wonder church gets on your nerves. No wonder sermons like this make you swear in the middle of it, I'll never go back. I'm tired of being beat up every time I go. Is that what you feel like? I get tired of my doctor telling me I need to lose weight. Sick of that. Going next week, bet I'm going to hear it again. What do I expect? I get on the scales and it says one at a time, please. What am I supposed to do? What do you think she's going to tell me? Well, you're looking good for a big fat man. Just telling you, no wonder you're miserable. No wonder you don't feel like you fit in. You don't. It's not our fault. I'm afraid it's yours. Character. It builds character in our lives when we go through perseverance. And then character leads to hope. Hope is different in the New Testament than hope like we know about. It's not like hope I win something or hope something works out. It is a statement of assurance in the New Testament. Verse 4 says the word hope. Not verse 5 says hope that does not disappoint because it is hope in God. It's not hope in the lottery. It's not hope in circumstances. It's not putting my hope in others or even myself. It's not believing in me. Boy, nowadays we are inundated with the philosophy of believe in yourself. Believe that you can do anything. Guess what? You cannot do anything. There will always be things you cannot do. Now one thing you can do is try your best. One thing you can do is apply yourself. One thing you can do is give it a hundred percent for the glory of God for whatever you do. But you will never, ever be Superman. 
It's just not going to happen. So what we have to do is learn how to put our hope not in ourselves, but put our hope in God. I know people that are hoping this fifth marriage is going to work. Really? And, and, and they haven't even figured it out yet. They're hoping, if, well, if I just get my doctorate, I, 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 then I can get this other job and then whatever. I, I can just tell you all of those things are good. But don't put your hope in them. You don't even know that you'll be alive tomorrow. As a matter of fact, we said it in a previous sermon, the only thing you know for sure right now that you will have this time tomorrow, the only thing, is your relationship with God. That's all. That's all. Hope that does not disappoint. When Leonid Brezhnev died, George Bush Sr. was our vice president at the time. He died in 1982. George Bush Sr., he said that his widow was looking at him, Leonid Brezhnev, oh, the leader of communism in Russia for years. So she looked at him, staring at the coffin, silent, staring at him in the coffin. And she, he said, just as the soldiers, I'll read it, touched the lid, Brezhnev's wife performed an act of great courage and hope, a gesture that must rank as one of the most profound acts of civil disobedience ever committed. She reached down and made the sign of the cross on her husband's chest. You see, I'm not saying the sign of the cross means anything, but I think it meant something to her. Because she lived in a country where what she did could have got her put in jail. Christianity in any form or symbol of it was against the law at that time. But I think when she did that, and others, you can read people that's written about this that happened, but the, the thinking is this. She knows this place is hopeless. Communism has drained all the life out of it. Uh, if you ever go somewhere like I've been to Ukraine. I, I, I gotta tell you, I, I'd never pick it for a vacation spot. Now I know especially now, but way before they had a war, I can tell you that was one of the darkest, most dismal places that I ever have seen in my life. When you get near Chernobyl, everything is still just dead. Dead. But then you ride down the roads and the respect from other people is just not there. It is like everybody is miserable and, and the vodka flows and, and people are trying to medicate the pain and disappointment that they feel. That's, that's what comes with communism and socialism. And I think Brezhnev's wife was trying to just at least ask, is there not something more than this? We have forbidden Christianity, but what we've done is kill this place. Kill this place. That's what worries me so about our country. One of the things that communism and socialism wants to do is take away your hope. They want you to put your hope in them. 
They want to be your answer. So don't wait until their guards at the front of our church start paying attention. And when people tell you don't worry about that, we're going to set up a fund and take care of that for you. And little by little, they own you more and more and more. And the next thing you realize, the trap has closed on your ankle and you're there to stay. It's sad. Number six, the phenomenon I encounter as a Christian. He says in verse six, for while we were still helpless. Three words I want you to look for. In verses six, seven, and eight. For while we were still helpless, at the exact right time, Christ died for the ungodly, for one would hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even die. But God demonstrated His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Helpless, ungodly sinners. That's how God, that's how God met us why we need a savior i know that to most of you sounds like well that's just yeah we know that yeah i know you but look around you look at people that you work with people you go to school with especially if you're in college people aren't looking for salvation from god about the most they're looking for from god maybe is a little advice you know to to, to tell them you need saving you're lost you're lost. You, you, you need way more than just for God to, you know, give you some good luck or for somebody to send prayers and thoughts. Oh, you need something far more than that. If you've never been born again, you are a lost sinner. And don't take offense at me saying it. I didn't say it. God said it. We, we are sinners. We're helpless ungodly sinners that's exactly how he found us we were enemies of god paul will later tell us and yet he loved us and cared about us not the cream of the crop but the the very enemies of god he loved us and died for us number seven the peril i escaped as a christian in verses nine and ten and with this we'll close he says, much more than having now been justified, verse 9, by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Enemies. Yeah. That's where we were. Boy, people who think, well, I was almost there. I had a few problems. God helped me out with that. You about made it, didn't you? You were all but over the bar. Needed a little nudge. I can tell you, friend, you were as sorry as the rest of us. I just, just, just wear it. Count this as persecution this morning. It's just the truth. 
having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. Now that's while we were enemies, we have been reconciled to Him much more having been reconciled, made right, put back in alignment with God because of what Jesus did, not because of anything we did, we shall be saved by His life. He's alive. And what is He doing? Well, He's in glory. I mean, He is omnipresent, so He's everywhere. But one place we know He is because He told us He would be there is at the throne of God making intercession for us. So we have been saved by His death and we are being saved by His life. He is like our, He is our advocate. He is not like it. He is our advocate. He is our attorney before the, the throne of judgment that makes it a throne of grace only because He died for us and justified us and reconciled us to God and He is in heaven pleading our case before the throne of God. Yes, thank the Lord. Why don't you quit pleading your case? Have you sat here already today? I'm not asking for a show of hands. But have you sat here already today thought about, well, you know, maybe I wasn't, wasn't that bad, or I, I don't, what I, what I do, I, I don't really see anything wrong with it. I know the Bible says you shouldn't, but I, I'm not sure about all that. Of course, we just dealt with the gay thing and the homosexual the deviation from God's design for sexuality and all of that. We've just dealt with all of that, and I know some people say, oh, but I have friends and they're, they're that way and they love the Lord with all. The best thing you could do for yourself is stop being your own advocate. Stop arguing with God about how good your sins are. And just say, God, if your word says it's wrong, it's wrong. And I am a pitiful, pitiful sinner. And I have no defense. And I'm tired of trying to find some Bible verse or some stupid meme online by somebody that doesn't have any more sense than I do to try to justify myself. I can't. You have to justify me by Your grace. So instead of me arguing with God anymore, God, I'm going to let You argue with You. I'm going to let You be my advocate for my sorry life, that without You, I would be damned to hell forever. Man, it is like you've got Perry Mason. I know, he's not real. Matlock was. And you're telling both of them to sit down. I'm going to represent myself. I bet every judge in every courtroom just looks down and shakes their head when some idiot says, I'm representing myself. Some of them fire their lawyer right there in court. 
Those are brilliant people. Telling you. Man, don't fire your lawyer. Quit arguing with him. Quit trying to make what's wrong right. Let it be wrong because God said it was. And say, God, I will let you be my advocate. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to justify me. Reconcile me to yourself. Let's pray. Our Father, we have no scar. We have no wound or scar, Lord. God, we we don't understand sometimes why You put us in a such a place that is so blessed. A place that on its worst day, people are swimming rivers, crossing oceans on rafts, defying laws, climbing fences, doing whatever they can to come to this land. And yet, most of us were born here. We've preached. Lord, when I go places to preach, people treat me like a celebrity. They pay me money to come. They, Lord, it's just, I, I have no idea what it's like to go somewhere and to think I could possibly lose my life, Lord. And sometimes I whine when I just get the wrong response, God. I pray, Father. You would help us, Lord. Help us to know how we can sacrifice. Help us, Lord, to see that there are ways that we can go above and beyond and take some risk. Lord, I pray You'd help us with that. Thank You now, God, for what You did for us. When we were sinners, worthless sinners and helpless and ungodly, you died for us and gave us your righteousness as a gift of grace. We praise your name. And in your name we ask this prayer. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at servantsway.com or email us at office at servantsway.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.